Praise God. I love our times of praise and worship. The Lord has graced us to people that are using their gifts and blesses us with the music and the singing and the harmony. And Lord knows I can't harmonize. My wife does, so I try to follow her sometimes in singing, but it just doesn't work all that well. So I'm, I'm learning. Um, so, <clears throat> but in that, as I begin, how many of y'all know our mission model? What are, what are we all about at Epiphany Fellowship? If you know it, say it with me. Showing off the glory of Christ every area of life. I know that's right. So, um, Pastor Mason had mentioned this, but it's good to have a lead pastor who is desiring to say, I don't want to just teach that, but I want to be accountable and live it out in all areas of life. Amen? Because a lot of times what can the temptation in leading is to, to turn towards idolatry and find identity and stuff, and it really hinders you from loving some essential areas. So I'm grateful that, that Pastor Mason is attuned to his wife and to the Spirit of God um, and attentive even to the elders as we think through how do we best support uh, what Christ is doing here. Because you know, if, if you don't take care of your family, right, God's going to stop the, the prayers from being answered. And so we honor you, Doc. I know you don't like being put on there, but just it's good to know that God speaks and, and there's that desire to say, you know, we really want to show off the glory of Christ. And when we don't, we repent and we say, God, show us. And so um, I just rejoice in God's faithfulness to um, us at Epiphany Fellowship. Um, so why don't we go and let's rise and stand up as we normally do is the custom. Let's do, uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25 here. Luke 8, 22 through 25. Um, I'll begin as we normally do and you can continue on. One day, he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Amen. Amen. So today, we're going to talk about weathering the disruptions of discipleship. Weathering the disruptions of discipleship. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the honor to be your children, to be in your presence, to worship you. Lord, it's so good to be in your presence and spend time with you, Father. When life gets so full and there's so many distractions out there, Lord God, you know how to bring certain disruptions in our soul that we can find greater satisfaction in Christ. And, and so, Lord, I pray that through your word, you will speak to us, your people. Father, I pray that every meditation of my heart, um, every, every word that I speak would be glorifying and honoring to the Lord Jesus Christ. You say that if Jesus be lifted up, you would draw men to him. Uh, and so, Lord, I pray that Jesus Christ would be lifted high, high above the earth, Lord, because that's where you are. And so when we lift you up, it just doesn't say, okay, now you're going higher. But the reality is it exalts the fact that you're already lifted up. And so, Lord, I pray that you would remove any distractions. Father, that you would um, uh, help us to apply what saith the Lord, not what we want 
you to say, but what do you say to us in this time? We take your word seriously, for it's our authority. And so unto it we submit. We ask that you would uh, speak by your spirit and make your word clear, um, as you always do. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we go into this, um, it often happens uh, right before, I, I find that it's funny, if you have kids, you know what I'm talking about, so you're getting ready, you have five minutes to get somewhere, and it's five minutes away, the kids are dressed, got their shoes on, you're ready to go, and as you go to pick them up, you smell something that should only be in the porta potty okay, so you, and you're like, okay, we got to change this, it's a disruption, or you know that you got to get to work by 8 a.m., and you're running, and you know traffic kicks up, you get to your car, and you find your car, you have a flat tire, it's irreparable, all right, or if you're a student, and you know that I have an exam at 8 a.m. in the morning, so I got to get up at 6.30 a.m., in order to study and review my notes. So you set your alarm for 6.30, you wake up and you look at an alarm clock or something distant, and it's 7.55 because your phone had gone out of batteries. Disruptions, they happen to all of us. <laughs> and, and, and in it, the beautiful thing, God is, do, he, he, he's in the disruptions to surface something. He's working in the disruptions, isn't he? And so when we, that's, it's not unlike what we see in Luke. Luke is writing to Theophilus to give him certainty in areas where he's already been taught. But here's the incredible thing. What he does is Luke brings Theophilus and he's bringing us into the journey of the disciples. And what he begins to say is he's teaching them that Theophilus, your certainty is not just built on how much intellectual information you can accumulate in your mind. It's not just how well can you spit the doctrines or communicate what the gospel is in and of itself communicating it, right? But he says there's something that certainty is grown and nurtured in the crucible of disruptions. So he says, you know what? In order for what you've heard and might have known to begin to take root, you got to go through disruptions of life. And so that's, that brings us to the text because in Luke chapter 8, Jesus is beginning to, you know, the disciples, they see the authority that Jesus, excuse me, is displaying. He's displaying authority over, over demons. He's displaying authority over sickness. He has authoritative teaching. Right? So they're hearing and seeing all this stuff. And then he begins to say, now I, I'm concerned about kingdom hearing because you've heard this. And he says, but my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. And the way that that begins from head to heart, he's beginning to say, don't be surprised when the disruptions happen. Why? Because disruptions have purpose. And that brings us to our first point, is that disruptions in life have purpose. Meet me at the, at the text. Verse 22. He says, one day he got into a boat with his disciples. And he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. Now I want to point out in this phrase, his disciples, this has powerful meaning in it as we look at the context. What it says with his disciples is uh, it's not unlike, um, it, it, it's similar but very different from this time of what it was to have, talk about discipleship. And so Pastor Mason in his book, great book by the way, Beat God to the Punch, 
Here's what happened. He sets the context of the rabbi to the students and vice versa. And this helps us understand a little bit about when Jesus says his disciples, what is happening here? What is Luke portraying? Uh, it talks about a Talmud uh, is a person, is like a student, right, who learns to walk and follow a rabbi. All right? So a Talmud did not merely follow a rabbi as a student. They desired to gain the rabbi's knowledge, but for a greater goal, they wanted to become like, like the rabbi himself. All right? So here's what he did. Here's what this Talmud, this, this student would do with the rabbi, the teacher. The Talmud would fo follow the rabbi everywhere, every day and every hour of the day, often without knowing or asking where the rabbi was going. They would follow him. The Talmud rarely left his rabbi's side for fear that he would miss a teachable moment. He watched the rabbi's every move, noting how he acted and thought about a variety of situations. So he's trying to make sense. So they're interacting. Disciples are they're interacting. Man, this, there's something unique about this rabbi. The Talmudin, or the plural, this idea of the, these Talmud, they trusted the rabbi completely. They trusted the rabbi completely. Now, that this, is, this is the most incredible uh, uh, reality with this is that while the rabbis of the day, here's how they would select the Talmud or the student. The, a student would approach them. Right? And they would say, do I have what it takes to be a Talmud, someone who can follow you? And they would, the rabbi would look at their qualifications, their characteristics. They would look at all these, all these different things and saying, what merit do you have to bring to qualify you as a follower? Flip it, Jesus comes on the scene. What does he do? He goes to a ragtag group of guys like a tax collector who the Jews hated because he was making some money off the side working with the Roman government, right? He gets a whole bunch of fishermen who in Acts later on, the, 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 the scribes and the Pharisees and the people of the law are saying, how are these, these guys are uneducated men. How are they speaking about these things? So even the fishermen were uneducated men. So Jesus, the way that he calls his disciples, he says, I'm choosing you, not because of some merit that you bring to be my follower. I am choosing you. Now this is comforting as we talk about disruptions because if someone, if you were, the, if you were whack at basketball, like, like me, man, back, I mean, you try to put me on the court now, and it's like, man, it's just bad. So back in the day, I think I had something like junior high, but, you know, it wasn't that good. But, but the reality is, is that you could, someone who's might be the, like, this dude can't even dribble. They can't do nothing. But the star of the school says, I want you as my first draft pick. What is that going to do in the image and the confidence of that guy who knows he can't play? That it does something to you when you know that the way Jesus chooses his disciples is not based on what we do, but based on him choosing to fix his affections upon us. And that's important for us to grab in this, in this, in this time. Because when you look at this, disciples, it helps them to stay in the game. Because if you fail, you know that you didn't bring anything to the table anyways. So you know the guys, for some reason, is going to come alongside you and start talking to you and helping you. Hey, let me meet with you after school, and I'm going to help you on your dribble game. I'm going to help you on your three points. I'm going to help you with your free throws, right? You know that there's nothing you brought, so whatever you do, it can't jack it up. Because, but he, that's how Jesus chooses. 
All right, that's glimpses of the gospel of you know how we're saved. So, so we'll look at that, but, but Jesus then comes and he says, now he says to his disciples, these are his disciples, right? This is what they're walking through. This is how he chooses. So he says to them, let us go to the other side of the lake. This is interesting with this lake. This lake is the Sea of Galilee, all right, if you're familiar. Now, if you're unfamiliar, the Sea of Galilee is about uh, if I remember right, 13 and a half miles long and seven and a half or so miles wide, and it's about 140 to 200 feet deep, okay? A lot bigger and deeper than the pools that we have in our city, all right? So it's, now here's another thing about the, the Sea of Galilee is that on one side is this area called Galilee, lots of Jews, for Jesus did a lot of his ministry, all right? Then on the other side is the Decapolis, where there's a lot of non-Jews, all right? In fact, what's interesting about this Decapolis side, uh, the other side, is this idea that they, in verse 26, after this text, they end up going to this other side, to the, to the place of the Gerasenes. And who they encounter? The man who is a, around a bunch of caves, and, and, uh, and he has demons in them, and there's a bunch of pigs, that's like the worst place because there's superstition that there was a lot of spiritual activity, which there was, within, the, within these graves. And the Jews didn't want to be around that, nor did they want to be around pigs. So you can imagine what might be going through their mind. The text doesn't say this is exactly what's going through their mind. But when your rabbi says, let's go to the other side, and you're on the, the side with primarily Jews, what are you thinking? Wait, huh? Am I, I'm going, wait, hold on. This rabbi's telling me as a Jewish rabbi to go over to that side? That doesn't make sense. And we don't know, but you can imagine contextually what they might be thinking. And so, um, but what was so beautiful about in this text, what they do is that when he says, let us go to the other side, they say, okay. Why? Because there was something, there was enough trust in him based on the fact that he had called them when they were nothing in regards to being part of a Talmud. He, so there was the sense of he called them, and so they're like, well, we can trust you. So at least at some point, we can trust you to say, okay, I don't understand it. I don't know who's going to be over there. I don't know how long it's going to take to be over there. I don't know a lot about the things that are over there on the other side, but I know that what I've seen and heard so far, I can trust him. And so they took what they knew and said, I'm going to move forward it, regardless of whether I know the future or not, because I know the one who holds the future. They couldn't say that at that point, but there was enough trust to say there's something about him that I can trust him. And so I think sometimes what happens is that for us, we, we, have, we oftentimes resist following Jesus to the other side. What is the other side for you today? Where's the other side where you just like, I cannot go there. Here are some things that I want us to, to consider. When you think about, I want you right now to imagine what, if God told you, or if he's telling you something right now and you're saying, God, I would never go there. I want you to put that in your head right now. Think about that. What is that thing that you're saying to God or you would say to God, I would never go to that other side. Now, I want you to reflect on some of these fears and see if these are, are influencing your resistance to follow Jesus. It might be you might have the fear of the unknown. I don't know what's over there. 
How are we going to get, what's, what's going to happen and we're going to make it safe? You have the fear of the unknown. It's too unfamiliar. You have a fear of interacting with people that are unclean or beyond hope. Those people, what you might be thinking, you might be thinking, no way, because I would never interact with somebody like that. You might have that fear of leaving what is familiar. This is comfortable. I like it here. It makes sense. I feel safe here. And you don't want to move because you scared to death. That he won't, as we'll go to the next one, the fear that the rabbi, will, he won't really take care of me. Will Jesus really take care of me? Will he really watch over my needs? Or you might have the fear of even potential disruptions or storms. You might think, man, if I go there, I know that a storm's coming my way. And you just don't even want to get up and walk. <laughs> so those, but here's another one. These are away for the fears. But you might have past hurt from the church or a hurtful loss in your life that you have and are still blaming God for. And you're practically resisting his gracious call. Or for some of us, it might, and oftentimes it's this one, is straight up pride and arrogance. Thinking that I know what is better than Christ, and he is simply your way to justify your sin. I'm doing what I'm going to do, and it's a way to justify my sin. I'll quote theology. I'll quote what Jesus said. What I'm really doing is saying, I'm going to try to let you think that what I'm doing can justify my sin. And I can wax eloquent, so it's okay. I'm all right. And sometimes the other side is just saying, I need to repent and trust God that he can forgive me. <laughs> and so some of us today, we need to be reminded of this one who says these are his disciples. Is that if Christ, the one who actually called the ungodly and the unmeritorious and who had nothing to offer, if he calls us, he knows what's best for us. We can basically learn to trust him again Come back to the fact that we are his disciples when you're in Christ. Come back to the basic foundations that he saved us when we were a mess, in spite of our mess, but because he chose to set our affections on him, to begin to walk through the other side, begin there. Come back to trusting the Savior who calls us as his disciples when you're in Christ. And so what do they do? Verse 22, so they set out and they trusted him based on what they knew. So verse 23 continues on, and he says, so as they sailed, he fell asleep. Might I add, but he remained in the boat. See, I got that past, he was saying something, I said, I gotta, I gotta include that. But he remained in the boat, he didn't sleep on the rock on the shore. He stayed in the boat. <laughs> That's good stuff right there. Because we need that. So here's, here, picture this. If you look on YouTube and you, and you look for the Sea of Galilee, when it's tranquil and serene, beautiful. It's not seawater, it's fresh water. Abundant fish, right? All, it's the birds. You can imagine Jesus when he uses the illustrations. Yo, look, my, I like my father feeds the birds of the air. I mean, it's probably birds chirping and they're going through and cruising. And you can imagine the disciples being like, yo, this is incredible. We're actually going to the other side. We're making it to the other side. Man, this rabbi is so great. Like, we didn't deserve any of this. But, like, everybody's flocking to him still in this part of his ministry. And he chose us. Like, this is great. Of course I can trust Jesus. <laughs> 
great. <laughs> now, here it kicks in. <laughs> Verse 23 continues on, and here's what it says. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. Now, catch this picture. They're still on the Sea of Galilee, just rowing. Man, this is awesome, right? But what happens is that with the Sea of Galilee, the hot winds below, the temperature uh, unites and grabs the cold from above because it's Sea of Galilee is like 700 feet below sea level. So it grabs it, and when they connect, for my meteorologist, Reggie, in your house, you know <laughs> what happens. A torrential windstorm happens, and it happens fast and it's violent. Their boat is not like the boats we see today. Based on archaeology, the fishermen boats in the Capernaum area were maybe uh, 26 and a half feet long, about seven and a half feet uh, wide, and about four and a half feet deep, however long that deep that is. So you can imagine, when they're in the sea and these waves are rushing, when it says it came down, they were filling with water and were in danger, that word says it's filling with water. In other words, it's not stopping. It's presently filling with water. Over and over and over. This is a little wooden boat, right, that the water is coming in and it's filling. And the text says they were in a present state of danger. Present state of danger. That's like if you don't know how to swim and someone pull, throws you in the middle of an eight-foot pool in Philly, how do you feel? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that's what's going on. You got to catch that. Like, it, it's, it's crazy. But here's the other thing that's crazy. The waves are going so much, they have no control over their boat. When waves are hitting, you cannot row or swim against them. You just got to be and pray that something's going to be okay. So what does that mean? They are utterly helpless in this disruption. They do not know what to do. They don't have, they, they're out of control. They don't have control. And sometimes these disruptions, God designs it so that we feel the same thing. So that's, that's what we need to look at. And so, but our response, and we'll get into that, is their response is they go and they wake Jesus as the text continue. They went and they woke him saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. <laughs> That's their first response. We're perishing, master. Now, you can imagine the interesting thing about in Psalm 46, it says, God is our strength and our refuge, a very present help in time of need. Therefore, we won't fear, though the earth give way or though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. The heart of the sea is the most untamed, unpredictable area, especially at that time. In fact, Leviathan and these, this crazy stuff, we see referenced into, into the sea. It's an it's a unknown area. But he says, though even the craziest thing of life happens and the most fearful area enters and we're scared, he says, we will not fear. Now, they probably heard that growing up, but their first response is, oh my gosh, we're going to die. Jesus, do you not care? Do you not care about this? In fact, um, Mark's version says, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Do you care about what we're, what's going on here? Are, are you sovereign, Lord? Do, 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 you, do, you, do you know what's going on? Are you faithful? We ask these things in the midst of these storms when we feel completely helpless. And then 
what happens, though, is that these, some of these storms, um, it could be either they, the disruptions or storms, they surface a number of things in our hearts. See, that's the issue. When these storms happen, it surfaces stuff in our heart. Yeah. All right? And you see what's going on in their heart. Right? There is a sense of unbelief that is coming forth. Here are some trials that, that could be storms and disruptions. One is the James 1, the various trials that we face. Those might be intense, but, but potentially shorter trials. And the other one is called the walls and journeying through the wall. If you're tracking in life groups with emotionally healthy spirituality, you'll see what Peter Scazzaro was talking about, about those are long, extended times of disruption that you don't understand how to deal with to deal with it and you don't know what to do and you feel helpless you feel lonely you feel like i can't do anything right now this doesn't make sense and then you start asking all the questions and god starts bringing things and so there's three things that god exposes through these times one is it we might be too attached to things right um i love in deuteronomy chapter 8 it talks about how um god says he teaches the people of israel like i didn't feed you with what you thought you needed but instead i withheld certain things that you thought you needed so that you can learn to live on bread alone and on my word and find your satisfaction in me now their temptation was to say let's go back to the egypt right because that food was better we were eating back there but they were forgetting the fact that that was torrential times that was crazy storms of oppression back there that they had to deal with but they forgot about that because in the midst of it there's something that we're missing and so God says you know sometimes you are attaching to things too tightly you're attaching to a career too tightly you're attaching to a relationship too tightly you're attaching to a location too tightly you're attaching to any kind of a, an identity and a degree too tightly you you want to you want to hold on to that because in that you think you find life and the Lord says, I, I, I know how to bring disruptions to help you see what is really going on below the surface. Two is you're too controlling and impatient. We'll tell God, God, you don't know what's going on. <laughs> I know what's better than you, right? And we try to control everything because we can't trust God. It's like, well, I can kind of trust up to this point, but Jesus, we're suffering, we're perishing. I know what's better. Listen to me, right? Do you how to do that? We try to counsel God. <laughs> Romans 11 checks us on that <laughs> because he's the almighty one who actually knows what's going on and he chooses us. We didn't choose him. So apparently he knows what's best for us. And he's sovereign and he's holy. And so remembering his character there. Uh, and then number two, can continue on. Sometimes it exposes we're too quick to judge in God's place. We try to, we come in, it's kind of like that uh, Matthew 7, the hypocritical judgment. This is not dealing with sin how we need to in the church because we need to judge healthy in the church. I'm not talking about that. So don't go around saying, don't judge me. No, you're accountable and it's good that we are, all right? But what it's saying is like, it's saying, I don't struggle with everything, any, anything. You do, you're beyond hope. There's no mercy for you. So that, that sense of saying, we almost judge everybody's journey as if like, man, you ain't here yet. Right? But you don't know what God is doing in our life. God may be doing something that we just don't see. If we take the time to listen and see, right, then we can learn. And Jesus likes to surface these things because he wants to make us more like Christ. He wants us to, to enjoy the goodness. Now, in all three of these, the root of all of these is unbelief. We fail to believe God's goodness, who, who he is. We fail to believe his character. And so in those disruptions, the disciples did not remember. So in the disruptions, we need to remember people of God. 
We need to remember who God is, what his character is. Because I, 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 this stuff it just happens all the time. I, I remember about six months ago, I started having these heart palpitations. I've never had heart murmurs or anything before in my life. Um, and so, so in this time, I had it for about six months. About two months ago, I started, it all kind of the disruptions began to hit in different areas of my life. Where I started, I, I was noticing that these palpitations just continued on. I couldn't be at still, right, without feeling them. And it just was, you couldn't sleep well. It was just uncomfortable. And then you put that in after some travel. I got vertigo, and I remained in, had vertigo for about two weeks. And that's where you get all off balance. Your equilibrium's off. Sometimes you need to throw up. Like, it's just crazy. And so all of these hit, and I remember sitting in my bed thinking to myself, God, this is right after we said, okay, Lord, we'll go to L.A. I remember sitting there, God, am I really going to take this step to my pregnant wife, my two daughters? I don't know if I'm going to live. I'm going to wait. I've never had that before. I did not know if I was going to wake up for sure. I did not. I had to write letters. I started writing letters to my daughters because I'm like, I, I know you're faithful, Lord, but just in case, stuff I want to navigate them to is a multi-ethnic kids and the gospel and all that. I want to help them with that. So I started, so I, like, seriously, and, and God began to just really get at me and be like, man, and, and I was even doubting the call. Let's stay in Philly. It'll be comfortable Man, I get the privilege to serve with the greatest elders and learning from Pastor E. Like, I just want to stay here, Lord. It'll be safer for me. And then we go to L.A. with some of our supporters, and one of our supporters shared this. He gave a story of a missionary. This rocked my wife and I. He gave a story of a missionary that's overseas, and it got pretty, you know, crazy, and they're like, man, we need to come back into a comfortable place. Right now, I'm not saying you got to, you, if, if it's crazy, you need to come back at times, but their thing was not seeking the will of God. It was, we want to go what is comfortable. And what they did is they came back to the States. They found the most comfortable place that they can imagine in the country where you have that area where you can climb under, uh, you know, you know, you climb under the, you can go underneath. There's an opening under the house, and you can play down there. Yeah, I know we in the city. I don't really know, but that's what it's explained. <laughs> so he goes down. So it's safe. It's comfortable. But here's why I bring this up. <laughs> That's my wife, the North Carolina. We still go to North Carolina. Uh, <laughs> but you go underneath. He said he had his kids playing under the one day when he moved to this comfortable area. So they're going down. They run into a snake's nest. One of them gets bit by rattlesnakes. He gets up, takes his son, gets, jumps into the car. He's about to back out to go to the emergency room to take care of him. On the backing out, he hits his other child. They die. His wife looks, falls dead as a heart attack because of what's going on. That's comfort? Like, that rip, that shook us up because it's like, man, any reservation, Jesus, we're going to go where you want us to go. <laughs> like, like, God knows how to speak things, and it's not to say God's after us, but he's after us to, for his glory and for our good. He said, you're not going to be joyful when you try to find comfort and security in the ways of the world. It's not going to work. Come to the other side. I got great things that I have for you. And so how do you normally respond to disruptions and storms in your life? What is your first reaction? Their first reaction was, we're perishing. Are you really asleep? You tripping? You let us out here. Right? 
That's the first reaction. So all of a sudden, Jesus then wakes up in verse 24, continue on, and he awoke and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased and there was a calm. If you understand the Sea of Galilee, this shows the power of Christ. In the Sea of Galilee, when these windstorms would cease, you would still have waves going on because aftermath of the, of the storm. When Jesus speaks, what happens? Calm. Calm. And I love how the Lord begins to speak in those situations. Because, but here's what's so cool. He doesn't let the disciples think that the storm is the issue. Nor is the issue that Jesus fell asleep. That's, that's important. And here's what he does. He says in verse 25, he says to them, where is your faith? Not, oh man, if I was awake, then this wouldn't have happened. No, 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 this is intentional. Disruptions have purpose. In the midst of it, remember. But afterwards, reflect. Because I remember after this issue, when the heart stuff, I started getting on some medicine and working out, and like I haven't had palpitations since. And God is gracious, vertigo's been gone. But I'll tell you this much, I had to reflect. The Lord had me sit down and just reflect on this stuff. How was my response in that situation? And so he says, you gotta reflect. And so here's what he, he begins this reflection process with them. Where is your faith? It's so important because this is a heart issue of unbelief that had them saying something like, Lord, I know I can trust you in this area of my life. And I know I can trust you to take me this far, but not to the other side. I don't think you can take me to the other side. And that's what he's surfacing is this unbelief because he says, guys, one commentator said this way, unbelief is more dangerous than the most torrential storm and disruption you will face. Because when you look at the anatomy of unbelief throughout the scriptures, there's a whole study, but one thing that began the first temptation was that God is holding back from you. He doesn't have best in store for you. Will you really die if you take this? Well, you know, I think God's getting a little jealous if you take that fruit. Why don't you go ahead and do that? Try to compete with God. Right? That's, that's what, like, like God, is, God is, he started messing up the character of God in that. And so they're thinking, and so they're like, well, maybe this is true. Maybe I can't trust the Lord. Maybe I'll try to do it in my own area. Right? If I stay here in Genesis 11, talks about the Tower of Babel, and we try to go about God's mission to be unified and do our own thing at the expense of obedience. Maybe I'll try to do all that stuff, and the Lord's like, you could try, but you're going to always be chasing idols, and it's never going to satisfy you. Unbelief prevented the people of Israel from entering the promised land. They did not believe God, therefore they disobeyed God, therefore that prevented them from entering into the promised land. Unbelief is a beast. The issue is not the circumstances, but it's the heart. Unbelief will always lead you to sin and disobedience. Unbelief will always lead us to sin and disobedience. 
That's why Jesus says, I want you to see these elements because you will not understand and enjoy greater increasing knowledge and understanding of who I am in life to live out what I've called you to live if you persist in unbelief. So I want to to surface those in these disruptions. And then I want you to reflect. And so sometimes what I've had to do lately, this is real, like something for me is Romans 8.32. When you start believing, and I know if I had a show of hands, all y'all, if you were honest, would say this, is when you're in the disruptions, you can start thinking, God, you may not be good. There's something that you're holding back on me. In some capacity, even if you don't give in, there is the temptation to think that. God, you're holding back. Romans 8.32 is the trump card for that type of stuff. And it's when it says, when Paul says, if God, who did not spare his very son, how much more richly will he give you all things? Everything that you need for salvation, the fullness of your salvation and your transformation and the glorification of Jesus Christ has been given. So God shows the depths of his love for us that while we were jacked up sinners, Christ died for us. God did not just give us a chocolate candy and say, yo, here you go. He gave his only son. The God-man came down, took on flesh so that we would have life. God is not holding back from us. He loves us. And he showed it for us in Jesus Christ. So in that time of disruption, people of God reflect. When it feels like the storms are ceased, don't go back to your old ways. Don't persist in unbelief. You're going to have the same thing over and over, and it won't produce transformation unless you reflect and say, man, where was unbelief in my life? Where do I need to repent? Where was it I believe in the goodness of Christ and knowing that he's faithful to fulfill what he's called us to? And finally, as we go in verse 25, and they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? The disciples notice in that verse, they don't answer Jesus' question. They sit together and they're reflecting, who is this? I mean, we just saw him cast out demons. We just saw him heal the sick. We saw him like he's raising the dead. Like he has authority in his teaching. Who is this? And then go to uh, Psalm 107. I want to read this. This is what they're thinking. That's blowing them. Verse 25 says, this is Yahweh, this is God Almighty speaking and doing this. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. Jump down to verse 29. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. Here's probably what they're thinking. God is the one who does this. Who is this rabbi? He's calming. He's doing all the stuff that Yahweh's doing in the Old Testament. So they're being rocked. They don't really know what to think about who is this. 
And there's something, and Jesus is kind of getting at uh, the disciples, and Luke has Theophilus come alongside. Theophilus, from your disruptions, as you reflect, God is going to show you greater glimpses of Jesus Christ. If you don't believe me, Job said, my ears had heard you, but now my eyes see you. He lost everything. He says, once my ears heard you, but after I went through this, my eyes have seen you. He went through difficulty. Isaiah said, in the year of the Lord that King Uzziah died, a great king supposedly, he was like, man, this dude's still doing some pretty good stuff. He dies and he's grieving. In his grief, Jesus shows up to him. Based on John 12, Jesus shows, he says, I've seen the Lord high, seated, lifted up. He saw greater glimpses of God. Paul learned a greater dependence upon the Lord who raises the dead in the midst of great suffering that he endured in 2 Corinthians 1, he speaks of. He said, I'm pressed beyond despair. I had the spirit of life itself, but it caused me to depend on the one who raises the dead. So that can, you could go on and see this. Whenever suffering and trials happen, Jesus is there with us, and he's about to show off greater glimpses of who he is. You read the rest of Luke in that discipleship passage, chapters 9 through 10. Every time he involves it in ministry, he's, he's leading them to greater glimpses to who he is. And that's what's the beautiful thing about our Lord is that he begins to spark in Luke. As, as Luke goes through this, he says, Theophilus, you will get greater glimpses of Jesus through going and growing your certainty as you walk through the disruptions of life. And at the end of Luke, here's what Theophilus has seen. And here's what we see through going through the times, the storms and disruptions. Jesus has authority over creation. He has authority over demonic. He has authority over death, disease, and dysfunction. He's a miracle worker. He's the Christ of God. He is the chosen, unique son of God. He's the one who reveals the Father to his people and actually chooses us, not us him, as John 15 says. The king, he's the king who teaches us about the kingdom. He upholds the word of God. He's the fulfillment of the word of God. He is the word of God. He's the subject of the scriptures from Moses and all the prophets. And he is the son of man who came once to die and to suffer so we would have life eternal. And he's the son of man, according to Daniel 7, who comes before the ancient of days. One flying on a cloud, coming before the ancient of days. You can see Jesus raising from the dead as you see in the latter part of Luke. And you see him coming and you see him fulfilling Daniel 7. He comes before the ancient of days and to him is given a kingdom. And all people, nations will be a part of his kingdom for those whose, 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 whose lives are washed with the blood of Christ, who believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. By grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, Jesus has made a way. And then he's coming again. He is coming again with full authority, with the kingdom invested that the Father has given to him. And he's coming to wreck shop. He is not coming. He did his compassion to forgive sin, but he's coming as the lion. And here's the incredible thing. He did, he, just like he led them faithfully across the lake, guess what else? When he comes again, he's going to lead the people of God in victory over to avoid the lake of fire through the storm of God's wrath, and we will survive because of the blood of the Lamb. And that's the news of the gospel. Here's the thing. Storms and disruptions are the part of a life of a believer. 
in the midst of disruptions, know that they have purpose. In the disruptions, remember God's character. He loves us. He's chosen you when you're in Christ. And he will faithfully bring you across after the disruptions. Reflect. See the glory of Christ. Where did he show himself? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are good and your mercy endures forever. Lord, you are so gracious to us that you will be faithful and you show us areas of unbelief that you call us back and say, where is your faith? Where is your faith? Let me show you more of who I am so you can trust me more and more. And Father, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus, our Lord, that you would continue to speak to everyone within the congregation, that we as your people would hear from you. Some of us, Lord, are having a difficult time, and we need to come back to the simple thing that when I was a rag, a, a raggedy, messed up person, Jesus Christ called me, and he saved me, and he changed me. Father, I pray that, that you would speak in those areas to hurting, th- those who are hurting and disbelieving. And I pray, Lord God, that you would show off the glory of God, that we would be a people as your church who will freely follow you regardless of the storms because we know that in them they have purpose and you will show us greater glimpses of Jesus and how we can grow from faith to faith. And I pray that as we go across the lake, Lord God, as a community, that we would encourage one another, that we would know that we are going to make it across. That's assured in Christ. May we have endurance in this. And may we go to those unknown areas by faith. May we be a community that is marked by faith, that believes you as a godly resolve, even if it doesn't make full logical sense. And may we discern with one another how and when you speak and lead us. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name.